New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. As spiritual seekers, most of us have asked ourselves such questions as, how can we live skillfully and prosper to fulfill our destiny? How may we be free from self-doubt, worry, or the opinions of others? How do we throw off the shackles of fear that bind us or cause us to sink down under the weight of despair? What are the laws of abundance and true wealth? Today, we'll be exploring these and many other questions with our guest, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Ellen Grace O'Brien is a Yogacharya, which means an esteemed yoga teacher, and she's the founder and spiritual director of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center and spiritual community in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda, brought to the U.S. in 1920. The Center for Spiritual Enlightenment is headquartered in San Jose, California. She's the author of many books, including The Moon Reminded Me, a book of poetry. Also, Living the Eternal Way, Spiritual Meaning and Practice in Daily Life, and The Jewel of Abundance, Achieve Success and Prosperity, through the principles of yoga. Join us for the next hours. We explore true prosperity in a spiritual context with our guest, Ellen Grace O'Brien. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Ellen, welcome. Thank you, Justine. It's a joy to be here with you and your listeners. Thank you so much. It's our pleasure as well. I would love to start off a little bit with your story. I know when you many, many years ago met your mentor and teacher, uh, Roy Eugene Davis, it was kind of an, an accident, so to speak. I mean, you weren't really seeking something, right. but something happened there. Can you tell that story? Right, sure. Um, that's an important story in my life because you're right. I, I didn't, I wasn't uh, consciously thinking I needed a teacher or looking for a teacher, but I was aware of a kind of pervasive sense that something was missing in my life. You know, I was a young adult, and I had uh, achieved several benchmarks of success or happiness at that point in my life. You know, I was married, I had children, had a career, um, 
But what I didn't have was the happiness I thought all of that would bring. So I, I felt that something was missing. And when I met my spiritual teacher, Roy Eugene Davis, who is a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda, what I discovered on the path of Kriya Yoga that he uh, was teaching was what was missing from my life was actually me. <laughs> so I wasn't... I wasn't, of course, missing, but my ability to connect with myself, you know, with my essential nature, where I could um, discern, you know, the path ahead for myself, where I could access my own innate wisdom, where I could access my own essential happiness. That's what I didn't have. And what he gave to me was this ancient wisdom from the Vedas that shows us how to connect with ourself as a capital S self. So I knew my small self, but I did not know that uh, divine self, which is within us all. So you mentioned the Vedas, and that's something really that comes from Hinduism, doesn't it? Yes, or perhaps we could say it the other way, that Hinduism comes from the Vedas. So the Vedas are the ancient scriptures, you know, thousands of years old that, that make up the canon, you know, of, of uh, Hindu uh, scriptures, but they actually predate the religion itself. I see. And when you say Kriya Yoga, what do you mean by that term? Well, Kriya Yoga is actually a generic term. So, you know, today, if you Google it, you'll be sitting at your computer for a long time. But um, when I speak of Kriya Yoga, I'm speaking of the particular uh, teaching emphasis that Paramahansa Yogananda brought to the U.S. in 1920. And that uh, Kriya Yoga is defined in one of the classic scriptures of uh, Indian philosophy, that is the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali, where he defines what Kriya Yoga is, and he gives three major things for it. It's defined by its practices. One is uh, self-discipline, to live a disciplined life, and two, to study, to practice self-inquiry, you know, who am I? What is this life? And the third is surrender of the sense of being separate from the source. So those are the three overarching practices that define uh, Kriya Yoga. And the other thing that Patanjali puts in that Yoga Sutra, which is the philosophical um, treatise of, of classical yoga. But in there, he says the reason for these disciplines is to remove anything that obstructs our ability to directly connect with our essential nature. So it's really just what I was talking about was missing for me. So when I came onto this path, it was a perfect match for me. We're going to talk about discipline in a little bit <laughs> because that's a big subject. But before uh -huh. we do it, you've, you've mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned Yogananda. And if some of our listeners will remember the famous book, Autobiography of a Yogi. Yes. And, yes. and that is like his autobiography. Many people have read that. And then you mentioned another person, uh, Pantanjali. Oh, yes. And uh -huh. now he... he yeah. lived 
at what time? And well, the the Yoga Sutras um, that that are attributed to Patanjali, although there were several Patanjalis, and nobody is exactly sure who this one was who who brought the Yoga Sutras together, and that's for a couple of reasons. One is that in those ancient times, with these spiritual teachings, it wasn't considered important who wrote them. You know, so they didn't copyright them in those days, and they weren't trying to get famous out of it. So, so the the authors tend to be more obscure, or they tend to be mythical figures. But anyway, so Patanjali is the name that is attributed. This argument about who he really was, about the second century uh, CE is when this is is dated. Um, but what? Patanjali did was he he brought forth the um, essence of yoga from the Vedic scriptures. He he didn't write this himself, so he was a codifier. He was one who who brought these teachings together in in this book that is called Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, and that is you know in Indian um, philosophy there are several streams of it and one of them is yoga philosophy in the in the classic systems of indian philosophy so people who study yoga in its classical sense are going to study patanjali's yoga sutra and when you're talking about yoga like in these times in modern western culture many people participate in yoga, and it's more of the physical right. movements, the, right. the different movements of yoga, and that's what you see just pervasive. Yes. But what you're talking about is really the philosophical yes. part that, that undergirds our spiritual practices. Yes, it is. And it's so interesting, and of course, in America, you're right. You know, now we have yoga studios and coffee shops, you know, on every corner in our, in our cities and our towns, or, or more than one um, on each corner. But um, in the classical yoga system is really about um, meditation. It's about um, waking up spiritually. It's about how do you access your essential nature, and then how do you live in harmony with it. So physical yoga, uh, hatha yoga it's called, is put forth as a discipline to balance the energy in your body and your mind so that you can meditate. So it's, it, you know, and healthy living is a byproduct of that, but it's not, um, in this classical system, it's not put forth as a, as a form of exercise. I'd love to get into a little bit about um, the the principles, the the four principles or or the life principles of this yogic philosophy. Yeah. And I'd love for you to begin to help us and yeah. understand that. Thanks so much for for that question. So um in the in the in the larger framework of, of Vedic teachings, we find um, four universal aims for living a happy, healthy, fulfilled, prosperous life, and I just found those so refreshing and so helpful. And um, so those go- those goals in English are one to live a life of higher purpose. 
not just a purposeful life, but a life of higher purpose, which has to do with our spiritual nature and learning how to cooperate with the infinite. And then the second goal, which I found so surprising coming out of this ancient philosophical system, is wealth, to learn how to prosper. So live with higher purpose, thrive and prosper. And the third goal, maybe even more surprising, is pleasure (laughs) or enjoy life. Be sure that when you live with higher purpose and you're thriving and you're prospering, you, you don't lose your soul along the way and you enjoy your life. And then the last of those four aims of life is um, enlightenment, Um, to have your sights set on experiencing your full potential liberation of consciousness in this lifetime. Now, I want to say again, those were put forth from ancient times to today as universal goals. So, you know, when we hear live with higher purpose and enlightenment, we may think, oh, that's about somebody else. But these are universal goals. And then mm, the way they're structured is very important, too, because we have wealth and pleasure in the middle (laughs) of those of, you know, higher purpose and enlightenment, which constrain them. Because, you know, if we had wealth and pleasure first, we might never get around to the other two. Exactly, right. <laughs> exactly. I'm, we're going to unpack those a bit. At least I'm going to encourage you to unpack those a bit in just one moment. But I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Ellen Grace O'Brien, and she is the author of The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. And if you want to know more about her work and, and the center, she is the founder and spiritual director of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. And the website there is CSE, which stands for Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, csecenter.org, O-R-G, csecenter.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Ellen Grace O'Brien. She is the author of The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. Ellen, we were talking about the four universal goals of life, let's say. Uh, And the first one is understanding the cosmic order or cooperating with the cosmic order. 
And there was a wonderful story that you told. This is a Nazardine story, you know, that is just so much fun. Uh, And it just reminds me of how often we live our lives in the way that Nazardine did in this story. And this was when he was riding a horse <laughs> in through the village. Uh-huh. Do you recall that story? I do. It's such a great story. So in, in this story, Mullah Nasruddin is riding this horse through town at top speed. And his friend is standing by the roadside and sees him going by. And so he shouts out and he says, Mullah, where are you going? And Mullah shouts back to him, I don't know. Ask the horse. Somehow I felt like that had something to do with our life and the way that we live it when we're not conscious of cooperating with some larger cosmic order. Yes. It's such a rich story on so many levels. You know, of course, it it points us, uh, you know, I mean, we laugh at ourselves, one, you know, because we all have the experience of feeling like we're just careening through our life um, without a real sense of direction or purpose. And... um, and, you know, we could look at it very deeply metaphysically and think, you know, the horses kind of, a horse would symbolize the senses, you know, like somebody just going going through life being led by our um, lower drives and, you know, sensory desires rather than having a more purposeful life. And, um, and then we have the friend on the side in the story. And that's always an interesting figure in these stories because the friend often will play the role of the spiritual teacher who will ask us, where are you going? You know, what are you, who are you? <laughs> where are you going? And then it, it makes us think, right? So it's a wonderful thing. And it does, as you, as you were um, suggesting, it points to the first goal of life, which in this um, system of the four universal aims, um, I like to just use the Sanskrit word for, for what these four aims are called, because they're called the purushartas. And um, I like the word because we don't have an English equivalent. And it means for the sake of the soul. So these are four universal goals about how to live our life, in, like I would say it, without losing our soul along the way. Now, of course, we don't lose our soul because we are the soul, but without losing contact with what has real heart and meaning and aliveness um, for us. So these goals are for the sake of the soul. And the first one that we were pointing to with this story is dharma, Um which which means purpose. Dharma can mean support. Dharma means universal cosmic order. Dharma also means a thing being what it is, you know, expressing what it is. So, um, you know, we could say the dharma of a door is to open and close. The dharma of the ocean is to break into waves. The, the dharma, so what is the dharma, the purpose of a human being, you know, um, and the the spiritual teachings say that, you know, our purpose as human beings is to wake up and to know the truth of what we are, but not just to know it, but to actualize it, right? You know, to be able to express that truth of our being, which requires us to work in harmony, you know, with the infinite divine order, which is dharma. So what you're saying is that 
it's more than an intellectual understanding. It's an experiential understanding. Is that correct? Absolutely correct. I mean, it can start with an intellectual understanding, and and very often that is where it starts. You know, and even the teachings tell us that. You know, like first we we hear the truth. You know, and it. It sort of stirs something in us, you know, when we hear, we read a book or we hear someone say it, and we contemplate it, and we get that intellectual or even intuitive insight. But ultimately, we have to experience it for ourselves for it to be real. Otherwise, we're still, you know, just in the mind um, with it. But this is a whole hearted, whole life whole experience of the truth of what we are. So are you saying that we can have a moment in our lives where we really experience some of the uh, Tibetans would call it the nature of mind mm. is is what it is called possibly in, in this other form. Mm-hmm. And that we feel this... M- I don't know, we may be looking at a sunset, or mm-hmm. we may be uh, with a friend. It, it could be any moment, and we, and we experience it. And I feel that then the aperture of who we are, of our knowing, doesn't ever really quite close up again. Yeah. That, that, that we have a little taste. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's such a beautiful way to describe it. Because once you have the taste of it, um, no, no one and nothing can take that from you. If you have just intellectual knowledge, just a thought, you know, that can change. But the direct experience is, is yours. Great. That, that, so the first one is the Dharma. And the second one is called Arta, mm-hmm. and it is about prosperity. And you, yes. you said that surprised you. It did, um, because the you know translation of Arta is wealth. And, of course, in all spiritual traditions that I'm aware of, religion and uh, spiritual traditions, there is a flashing red light about wealth um, in its material form, you know, money. And um, and so I think we've carried that over in our consciousness that somehow um, prosperity and spirituality do not go hand in hand. And um, according to this uh, view, they they actually do and they must. And I would say I agree. But of course, it takes a study and understanding of what they actually mean. So first, I want to say that this wealth that we're talking about as the second uh, primary aim of life is not limited to material wealth. So this is, you know, wealth that is health, wealth that is loving relationships, um, wealth that is insight, wealth that is creativity, you know, everything that makes up a sense of abundance in our lives. So we know, you know, that it's possible for people to be materially wealthy, but um, not to have an abundant, happy life. So you're saying that the, the, the true nature of abundance is, is more than 
physical wealth or money, so to speak, yeah. uh, that it's it's greater than that. Yeah, it's far greater than that. And it actually is what I would call soul wealth or spiritual wealth, which has to do with our innate wholeness, our innate fullness. Um, but the other thing to say about this is that this does not exclude material wealth. It includes it. And this is the part that I think is is really important for us to look at and to look at in this age and time that we're living in um, because we have a problem with wealth. <laughs> I, I mean, we do in our, in our society and in our world. And what I mean by that is that there's this horrible disparity between, you know, just incomprehensible wealth on on one hand and then on the other hand, you know, people not being able to have their basic needs met. And then this split in consciousness, you know, in, in awareness between spirituality and the material life. And so these beautiful goals of life say, no, actually wealth, you need to learn how to access the wealth, the resources that are needed to do what you need to do in the world, to make a contribution to life for the well-being of all. So Arta, our wealth, is the, in a sense, the handmaiden of Dharma, of um, living with higher purpose. So, you know, sometimes we see people who are very um, spiritually oriented and they want to do good work in the world, but they struggle around how do I, how do I do it? You know, how do I um, charge money for services? How do I prosper with this good work that I want to do so I can make a difference? So these are all very important questions. And I think fundamentally it has to do with healing yet another split in our world, you know, in the teachings of yoga, it's all one. You know, the world is sacred, all of it. So, you know, this is not like heaven and earth split apart. This is heaven and earth come together in a sacred way. So it's, it's yes, I, I hear what you're saying. It's not an either or, mm -hmm. it's a both end. And, yes. and, and it's our creativity. It's mm -hmm. expressing our creativity and being supported for that in a way that we can continue to offer that to the world for the benefit of others. Absolutely. So in that, from that perspective, if we look at it, people who are inspired um, to make a difference in the world and they need to learn how, what the principles are behind you know, how to attract necessary resources to do what they're going to do. So that's one way to look at Arta and Dharma. The other way to look at it is that there are some situations where people go completely after wealth in, in ways that are corrupted. And we, we see plenty of that in our world today, but that's because the relationship with dharma is missing. So the relationship with ethics, with moral law, with spiritual law is left out of wealth. That's why these two um, from the very beginning, you know, thousands of years ago, were set out to walk hand in hand in our world. So now we're going to move to the third one, which is Kama. Yeah. And uh, that also is surprising. It's joy and pleasure. Uh, yes. Oh, my goodness. We can, we're a principle of life aim is to be joyful and to, in, and to enjoy. Yes. And have pleasure in our life. Yes. And and believe it or not, that's a problem too, you know. 
<laughs> How can so, that be spiritual? Exactly. That's the same thing, you know, where, you know, of course, desire has a, a, a very bad rap because it's true that unbridled desire um, can take us away from our spiritual goals. But fundamentally, this goal of Kama points to what the yogis have identified as the very nature of the soul as blissful. You know, the, when Joseph Campbell said, follow your bliss, you know, I think there were some who misinterpreted that as, you know, go after whatever you want. But, you know, he was, of course, very versed in these teachings. Uh, we're going to get back to the discussion about joy and pleasure and follow your bliss uh, and exactly what that means. In just one moment, I just want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Ellen Grace O'Brien, and she is the spiritual leader and founder of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, and she is also the author of The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Ellen Grace O'Brien, and she is the founder and spiritual director of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, and she's also the author of The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. And if you want to know more about her personal work, her work per se, uh, you can go to her own website, which is Ellen Grace O'Brien, and she spells her name O-B-R-I-A-N, ellengraceobrien.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. Of course, she spells her name also with an apostrophe, but that's not included in the website. <laughs> hope that isn't too confusing to our listeners. Um, so we're right in the middle of talking about the four aims of universal life aims. And we've talked about the Dharma, and we've talked about Arta, prosperity, and we're now talking about the third one, Kama, and that's about pleasure and joy. Mm. And you just mentioned it's it's. Following our bliss, but not just physical pleasure. It's it's much bigger than that, isn't it? Right. It's really all of the goals, every one of them, points back to the actual nature of the soul. You know, in the opening um, segment, I was talking about the the word purusharta means for the sake of the soul. So uh, these four goals really give us a template or a prescription, if you will, for how to have a happy, healthy balanced life. So often we suffer because our life gets out of balance. So, you know, maybe we're we're going too far after wealth, we're not including a higher purpose, 
or sometimes, you know, we're we're spiritually oriented. <laughs> we're up at four a.m. doing our meditation, but we're you know we're trying so hard to get <laughs> enlightened that we're off course and we're making ourselves miserable along the way. So we've left comma out. We've left pleasure out. We've left out enjoying life. You know, one of the things that uh, saying that we have, like, if we go to a, a gym or something, we say no pain, no gain. Right. So we're kind of oriented to that you know, striving to right. make it happen and right. and forget that the soul is here to have to jo- to be joyful. Mm-hmm. I, I use the phrase, uh, there's the phrase follow the money mm-hmm. is a phrase mm-hmm. that you hear on on the media. Uh, I, one of my phrases is, Follow the joy when people yes. say, "Oh well, I'm I don't know what to do. What uh-huh. how I'm trying to make this uh, choice," and I'll say, "Well, follow the joy." That's and- brilliant because it is really it, it's so much clearer than saying "follow your soul" because somebody might say, "Huh," but what you're saying is you know, I think, um, is follow that indicator that's going to come from your deep center. So, you know, follow the joy of it. It's so great to have permission to do that, (laughs) Ellen. Yeah. And it's funny, isn't it, that we have to give ourselves permission? And that's that's why I say it was surprising to me to discover thousands of years ago and so relevant for us today to have a guideline that says... As you're going along your way in life, doing the things that are important for you to do, be sure to include your soul in the equation. And one of the ways to do that, as you mentioned, is follow the joy. Um, pay attention to whether or not you're you're in touch with your joy. Um, that's so important. It's so great. Now, the last one is... Um, what, what is the last one? Remind me. It is moksha or enlightenment. And um, that one can be equally problematic for, for people <laughs> as wealth and joy, but for a different reason. And um, so I just want to start with the reminder that these are, these are known to be universal goals, you know, meaning for everyone, for all time. Um, and one of the greatest obstacles we have to considering enlightenment, a goal for us generally, is that we have partitioned it off um, for only special people <laughs> in special circumstances at special times. And we think there's only a very few of them, if any. So um, what the ancient sages are telling us with this is that that is possible for everyone. And it is important to hold it as a goal in your life because really what yoga tells us is it's simply the revelation of the truth of your being. You're not, you're not going to, quote unquote, get enlightened. You're not going to become enlightened. You, you already are that which you are seeking. So um, the idea that we cannot experience that or know that it, turns out to be the main obstacle towards it. Now, can we use, and you use in your book this analogy in several different ways, so I'm going to try this out. Can we use it that we're actually, using the ocean and the waves analogy, that we're actually like a wave, but we're 
always part of the ocean. Yes. So can you yes. help us understand that analogy? I'll do my best, yes. Um, in, in the sense that the wave um, is actually the ocean itself. It's the ocean itself expressing so, you know, sometimes, um, you know, we could, we could take that analogy further and say, um, you know, uh, the, the, the wave, um, you know, may be afraid of uh, s- surrendering to the ocean, <laughs> but, <laughs> but in truth, the wave is the ocean. So, you know, that, that depth, that foundation, that essence like the ocean of the wave, is our uh, true nature. And we are just that in expression. So, in other words, we are always totally whole. We are whole, complete. And, and we always belong to that which is totally whole and complete. Is that, is, That's such a beautiful way to say it. It is. You, you just said it so beautifully. And, you know, you can, sometimes I think about this metaphor and I think about, you know, a, a wave dancing along and looking at other waves and thinking, you know, well, gee, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite that exotic and, you know, maybe I'm not enough and maybe I should be this, I should be that. And it's all just the ocean, you know, doing its thing. So, yes, according to this uh, philosophy, um, we are all innately whole. We are all complete. And the spiritual practices that we have, as I said initially about Kriya Yoga, are not to create a spiritual condition. It's not to try and be, quote unquote, become enlightened, but to remove whatever obscures our direct knowledge of that, our direct experience of that, and importantly, our ability to actualize that. So, you know, just waking up, I think, is, um, of course, the essential thing. But then living as a person who's awake is what we really need. Exactly. Yes. Living it. Okay. That's our challenge, living it. And, and you know, I, I'm just going back to what is it we're trying to live? Mm-hmm. You know, what what is it? that we're awakening to, or maybe the word to isn't the right word. <laughs> uh, I, help me out here. I've been working with a definition of God, let's say, or the divine energy, whatever that is. I, and my working definition these days is um, we're, we're living in a quantum field of infinite intelligence and divine energy. And that is the ocean in which we are mm-hmm. always part of, but we don't always realize it. It's true. Yeah. I, I like your definition. <laughs> and um, I think, yes, we are, when you ask, well, what are we waking? We could say, what are we waking from and what are we waking to? You know, we're, we're, we're waking from the illusion that we are separate, you know, that we are the body-mind that we inhabit. And uh, instead of we are that um, 
divine consciousness or supreme consciousness or absolute reality, which illumines the mind and which, um, you know, empowers the body. So waking up to that truth of what we are as spiritual beings, as yogis would call it the self, but capital S self, we also awaken to the knowledge and experience that there is only one reality and you know there is only one divine self one divine reality so the reason this is so important of course for us individually because the sense of separation brings suffering but also in our world you know to awaken to the oneness that is at the heart of all of life However, yes. <laughs> the paradox, I think, within all of this is that we are unique, creative entities, are, and, and that is also true, that we are totally unique. Yes. Like each wave that breaks on the shore is totally unique in the breaking on the shore. It looks different from the one before and will look different from the one after. So that's the paradox that we are unique. Yes. And yet we're one. It's like hard to hold it all. It is. It's such, um, it's so awesome. You know, that is really the word. It is awesome. Um, And I often use this this metaphor of, have you ever gone into one of those lighting stores, you know, that have uh, all the different kinds of lamps and lampshades and all that? So when I'm teaching about this, I often say, well, when you go in, you know, you see all these beautiful lamps and all these beautiful shades and they're different colors and they're different shapes and, you know, different sizes and all of that. But the the light is coming from the same source and the light is the same within them, but their uniqueness comes from the shade that they're wearing. (laughs) So you, and you know, you have that at home, you can change the lamp shade, you know, but the light itself is the same. So in a way, you know, we can look at human beings or all of life like that. There's one light, there's one absolute reality, there's one supreme consciousness, and then there's all these magnificently varied, uh, beautiful coverings that the light shines through and gives us this, quote-unquote, illusion of the many where there really is only one. It's so beautiful. Thank you for that wonderful analogy. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Ellen Grace O'Brien. She is the spiritual director and founder of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, and she's the author of The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, is Ellen Grace O'Brien, and she spells her last name O'Brien, O-B-R-I-A-N, ellengraceobrien.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Ellen Grace O'Brien, and she is the spiritual director and founder of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, and the author of The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. Ellen, we said something way back at the first of the program, something about discipline, and I said that we would revisit that. So please help us. What is your definition of self-discipline? I like to bring joy back into the definition of self-discipline because I have found over the years when I teach this component of yoga philosophy, I say, okay, you know, first on the list, self-discipline. I can just see the bodies closed down, you know, because we have this general idea, as you mentioned, you know, the no pain, no gain. But the spiritual teachings are not really set up that way. Um, because what they want to do is point us back to the soul. And so we're back to what you were saying earlier, that beautiful reflection about where's the joy. So self-discipline can really be approached in the same way. And so I like to think of it as doing what pleases your soul. And um, what I mean by that is that doing what is in the highest harmony for ourselves. We know that this will lead us um, in a way to do what is in our highest, best interest, because nobody has to tell us about you know, what is really highest and best for us. We have a tool for that. It's called discernment. It's called conscience. You know, those tools within us tell us, you know, what is highest and best for us. So really self-discipline, it just comes down to that. Like doing, you know, my, my teacher describes it sometimes as doing what you know you should do. Um, and by that, not meaning some external um, idea of what is right, but being able to follow your own joy compass, your own innate ability to know what is in your highest best interest. You know, uh, in in that part of the book, when you really get into discipline, you really go through some wonderful points of what we can do that keep us in the joy level mm -hmm. and help. They're very helpful, like to make a plan, to, mm -hmm. to clarify and make a plan, uh, doing what's ours to do, to make that plan. And one of the ones that really popped out at me that I find very useful is one you call arrange conditions. And you even give a quote from Yogananda who said, environment is stronger than willpower. <laughs> and that, I it just knocked my socks off. Yeah. Like, oh, all right. Yes, that's very important. So I'd love for you to at least talk about that part of self-discipline is arranging conditions. It's um, a really a good part to, to pull up because um, it takes us back to the fundamental teaching on this uh, spiritual path is that the, the joy that we seek, the wholeness we seek, the abundance that we seek is already within us. 
So it's not a matter of uh, creating a spiritual condition, or it's not even a matter of, you know, creating happiness for ourselves. It's a matter of creating conditions in our life that allow that inner joy to bubble up, that um, allow us to connect with our innate wholeness. So really, all of our disciplines are for that purpose. So it it, it kind of turns it around, you know, from the way that we ordinarily think of it, you know, like I have to do that and do this and do that so I can become, so that I can be happy, um, so that I can and be abundant. But these teachings say, no, 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 you actually already are that. <laughs> but in order to know that, in order to experience that, the best thing you can do is begin to arrange conditions in your life so that you can experience it. So you could be arranging conditions externally, you're making your environment uh, conducive to ways that help bring you a joy and connection to yourself. And sometimes too, it is about arranging conditions in our own mind, um, which you know could be something like um, paying attention to uh, what we're saying, paying attention to our thoughts, um, being able to change our thoughts, to um, put forth some uh, more positive thoughts that are more um, conducive with bringing forth that inner peace or that inner joy. So I, I love the idea that it we're not totally dependent on willpower because it's very hard to keep up mm-hmm. willpower mm-hmm. that you're you're saying going underneath it because you're you're basing it on a joy factor. Mm-hmm. And so if we create, self-care, let's say, of better health conditions, then we're starting to feel better and, and our vitality is better and that leads to more joy. Is, is that kind of what you're talking it's about? It's totally what I'm talking about. And, you know, willpower is not tossed out because our will is is so important and it's really useful for us but it's the underlying premise and and you just caught that you know the underlying premise is to start from our own wholeness our own innate uh, contentment that is of the soul itself and then out of that you know we do these things that we do um, so that that can come forth you know from within us so I I love um, I know that one of the things that that you talk about in the book they're called the the five yamas and the five niyamas and the yamas are the restraints like um, like non-stealing or right use of vital force or non-attachment. And we've talked a little bit about that or truthfulness or non-arming. And the nayamas are are more or less, um, they're the support. Mm-hmm. And you talk about purity and contentment mm-hmm. and, and that's where self-discipline comes mm-hmm. in. And so... I would love if there's anything you want to say about that which truly supports our life in a whole way where we can be in that deep happiness that you're talking about, not just Mm -hmm. a surface happiness of gratification of something Mm -hmm. momentarily, but that deep happiness. These um, 10 guidelines 
for um, fulfilled living. You mentioned the yamas and niyamas. The first five, um, the restraints, are really about restraining the ego and the ego drive, the the lower drive. So put it that way, so that the uh, higher uh, goals can can be met and we can live in a higher way. And then the niyamas that you mentioned have to do with the inner life and cultivation um, of touching this happiness, this joy within us. So I just want to focus on the one on contentment because that one is really surprising. And it tells us, these are all stated in sutra form like this, little aphorisms, little pithy (laughs) aphorisms. And this one says, one who is established in contentment experiences supreme happiness. One who is established in contentment experiences supreme happiness. And this is backwards from what I thought in my life. You know, I thought, I'll do this, I'll get that, I'll be that. That will make me happy, that will bring me happiness, and then I'll be content. But the way that we have it set up, it's like that ever-receding carrot. And we actually never find contentment that way because those conditions are always changing. We can never get enough externally in order to have that supreme happiness, right? There's always the next. So this says, wait a minute. Start with your own contentment, which is innate, your own wholeness, your own peace of the soul, your own sense of well-being. And once you know that within yourself, once you experience that within yourself, you will know that supreme happiness comes from that And all the other forms of happiness in life that are temporary, that come and go, are still there to be enjoyed, but we just don't have to chase after them trying to find contentment because contentment is already within us. Isn't that marvelous? Oh, it is marvelous. It is marvelous. And I can think of how we get distracted by life and and we start grasping after all these things and you're saying, oh, just take a moment. This is where meditation comes in. Mm-hmm. Just take a moment and just relax and allow ourselves to sink into it. And understand that a thing can only give you of its own nature. And, and what I mean by that is that something that is temporary can only give you something that is temporary. And so that's why the spiritual traditions are pointing us to our essential nature, which is eternal, which is whole to begin with, because that is the only thing that can give us this unconditional happiness. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful way to just sum it all up. Thank you so much, Ellen. That was just so perfect to to sum up what we've been talking about in this past hour. I want to thank you so much for being part of New Dimensions. Thank you, Justine. It's just a, it's a dream come true to be here with you. It's really lovely. Oh, thank you. I've been speaking with Ellen Grace O'Brien, and she is a spiritual director and founder of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, and the author of The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website 
graceobrien.com. And she spells her last name O-B-R-I-A-N, ellengraceobrien.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3674. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org, or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.